In today's interview, we dive into David's take on the rapidly evolving solar revolution and his plans to bring environmentally sustainable, energy-positive homes to the mainstream. Okay, so today uh, we've got uh, David Morgan from Iron Matrix on. Uh, one of the key reasons I wanted to have him on was because I recently wrote an article, uh, a blog post that went into detail about the, the costs and where we see uh, energy going and how we think there's we're, we're at the point now where there's going to be some really rapid changes in the energy system over the next few years. And it's a huge, uh, going to make a huge impact on anyone who's investing um, and uh, particularly with the size of the companies involved. We've already seen a bunch of coal companies all go bankrupt in, in the US over the last few years. We think there could be a very similar profile over the next few years for, for other comp companies in the, uh, in the energy space. So what we wanted to do is get David on who's uh, working on, in a startup company uh, in, in this very space and talk to him about some of the latest technologies and some of the costs and what he's seeing at, at the, uh, the coal face, so to speak, of the solar industry. After the interview, we then look into some of the wider investment implications that these themes can impact how we invest money every day here at Nucleus Wealth. So join Nucleus Wealth's Head of Investments, Damien Klassen, and myself, Tim Fuller, as we learn more about eco-friendly innovation that promises to move Australian housing manufacturing into the next generation. I hope you enjoy. Today on the show, we have founder and CEO of an exciting new eco-friendly housing startup, Iron Matrix. David Morgan, welcome to Nucleus Investment Insights. Gentlemen, thank you very much for the invitation. Wonderful. So, look, I thought we just might begin, uh, if you wouldn't mind, just sharing a little bit of background about yourself and uh, your drive to, to kick off and, and run with uh, this Iron Matrix uh, new start. Uh, yeah, so basically I've uh, got a background in engineering and commerce from uh, UWA. I actually joined the oil and gas industry. I worked for Woodside for nine years and then Chevron internationally for nine years. Um, so yeah, my background is very much in energy. Um, I worked on major capital projects, so I really pulled together the technical and commercial justifications for these mega projects. Um, and then ended up doing that all over the world. Um, had a number of insights by virtue of the fact that I was bringing together really what was thermodynamics and economics. Um, and through that insight, I was um, quite successful. I was one of the youngest major capital project managers um, when I was 35 years old. Um, so I had uh, the insights, though, were actually telling me that the future of energy production, or at least the growth in any energy production, was going to be challenged coming from the oil and gas industry. Uh, and that was actually enough to motivate me to uh, take a couple of years. I was actually took initially two years unpaid leave um, and started a prototype of a construction um, system that ultimately turned into Iron Matrix. Um, so in a nutshell, we basically create a structural steel system that can be entirely clad in solar panels. Um, and what that means is that we can create buildings at a cost that's actually lower than traditional buildings, but basically they generate energy for free. Excellent. And so, and so I guess from, from that perspective, like the solar panels you're putting, say, on the side of the house and, and factors like that, they're, they're not particularly efficient compared to what with, with what you could do, but... Um, but it's it's cheaper than putting cladding there. So so yeah, absolutely. Energy so you're getting the prices of solar panels have got to a point now where uh, you can get a solar panel on a dollars per square meter basis. They're cheaper by the time they're installed than structural plywood. 
the wow. issue only becomes uh, can you actually put a tempered piece of glass on the outside of a structure? Because structural plywood actually offers it uh, a building some structural integrity. So we designed the steel structure uh, specifically to be clad in a piece of glass that you can't cut and you can't stress. Right. And, and in, uh, insulation-wise, what's the? Um, do you need to add extra insulation or, or, uh, or yeah, how does so that So all construction, uh, good construction um, method uh, means you're going to try and avoid the loss of energy in a, in a building. Um, for our buildings, uh, we put a layer of insulation. Um, there's a gap, there's a solar panel on the outside, an air gap that allows convection, and then we put uh, insulation actually within the frame of the steel, and then you've got your internal cladding for a building. Uh, so we put in um, insulation that gives us a, about an R4.0. But interestingly, um, on our prototype... Sorry, uh, to confirm for, for, for those not in the construction industry, what, what an R4.0 means? Uh, it basically relates to the amount of energy that can pass through a surface. It's a, it's a measure of the conductivity of, of, a, of a material. And what you're basically trying to do is avoid temperature differences moving from one side of the other of your, of your insulation. So when it's cold outside, you want to keep your heat inside. And the 4.0 is basically a measure of how well that insulation works. Yeah, and so a, a, a typical house sort of built, you know, ten, fifteen years ago in in Sydney or Melbourne would, or, or Perth would have a, what type of what type of rating? Uh, yeah, you'd have three or four insulation. If you've got six stars, yeah. you're going to be moving to at least an R three point zero, R four point zero. Yeah. Interestingly, within our prototype, uh, and when I take people out there, it's a bit of a paradigm shift. So they ask, it's a very natural question, what do you do for insulation? Um, but ultimately, we're generating the electricity from those panels at an incrementally zero cost. So I tell people, we will be running our air conditioner here 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, and we will not care. Um, so it's kind of a, a difference to what people are used to, because when an, people previously always thought about sustainable construction it was all about that conservation of energy loss but where you've got a building that's actually generating its own electricity it becomes a different equation and insulation has a, a marginal utility on, on return so you can keep investing in insulation but the amount of money you put in for an incremental improvement in insulation actually just keeps going up and up and up mm. Mm. Right. So, okay. So that's that's a bit of background about 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 your company. We might jump into the the more the bigger sort of macro picture and and where I was trying to hoping to get some some answers from you. Now we first um, touched base, I guess, based on an article I'd written. The basis of that was was around this whole idea that that solar plus batteries uh, are the killer app of the energy world. In that, if once you can get solar power. Uh, feeding into batteries that then that then solves the intermittency problems and uh, if you can get that at a low enough cost then that sort of trumps uh, other forms because that solar plus batteries have both been decreasing by sort of 20 percent per annum in costs over the last sort of 10 15 years and actually uh, solar if you go back even further has been been you know dropping quite dramatically in terms of um, you know being pretty much an afterthought 30, 40 years ago to uh, to now sort of one of the uh, the cheapest methods uh, possible of generating energy. And so the yeah. idea for me is that it's extremely scalable at the right price, um, but we're not quite there yet. And the prices have been falling so fast, though, that we are actually almost there. And if you sort of extract forward and said, well, if we got 20% per annum uh, cost growth, cost savings again for the next sort of four or five years, then solar starts to um, not only... Uh, sort of cut out uh, new uh, 
new coal-fired power plants and new other forms of energy, but you actually get to the stage where you'll start getting rid of some of your existing forms because the cost will be so low that just the fuel cost of running a coal-fired power plant or a gas power plant will be sort of at parity with what you'll be able to generate solar for. Yes. And so that, yes. that's that's my thesis, yeah. And I wanted yeah. to sort of hit up David now on, on some of his thoughts, um, particularly on some of I guess what what you've been seeing on the on the cost front in the um, on the solar on the solar side, for example, at the moment. Yes, uh, absolutely. So I think your your insight was extremely shrewd, um, and it's one that uh, a lot of people I feel are struggling to come to grips with right now. Um, exactly as you said, the prices of solar panels has dropped precipitously since uh, gosh the nineteen nineties. Um, there was a time where people thought that once solar got below a dollar per watt that it was game over for the fossil fuel industry. Uh, that didn't happen. And fundamentally, it came down to the reason that you just mentioned, uh, that you need to not only generate, but also store so that you can dispatch that energy uh, when, a, a, when it's actually um, demanded. The key element there then is the storage, and it's uh, the storage that's basically been the Achilles heel of renewable energy generation um, uh, for all of, all of time. Um, and what we're seeing now is that, yes, batteries seem to be uh, the alternative that will be the technology that ultimately provides you a uh, kilowatt hour uh, within your house at a price that is competitive and one day probably more so uh, with current utilities. Yes, and and so um, okay, so we're seeing that from both the batteries and the and the solar side. Um, I guess getting getting to the technology, it seems to me that in both these, both batteries and solar, we might start with solar first. There's an extremely diverse set of uh, technologies out there, yep. and I guess what I'm, I'm most interested on the on the solar front is, um, I guess the most the most interesting technology that that you're putting in. Uh, today, uh, and then versus some of the sort of future where, where you can see that the industry going at the moment. So, so yeah. today, what, what what are you using? So we're quite mature. We're uh, using a traditional um, uh, solid silicon uh, solar panel, an amorphous solar panel. Uh, these have been available for a number of years. Uh, our uh, philosophy was to ensure that we were benefiting from the lowest cost material because it was being used as a cladding material. And that yeah. happens to be a solar panel that's in a standard industry form factor um, and those are produced in the factories in China for, for you know, uh, dollars per panel right now and turned out at uh, millions and millions of panels a month. Um, so that was the intention. Uh, that's a very mature technology. Um, but if you look at the cost of delivered kilowatt hours per, do uh, per dollar, um, uh, that's basically the best uh, that you can actually get right now. Uh, that's not to say it won't change, but I don't actually see a technology that's going to reasonably compete with a silicon solar panel at this point in time. Yeah. So some of the some of the thin solar, I guess, had I guess it's probably not quite the same application, but there there was a lot of, uh, I guess, a lot of hype a few years ago mm -hmm. about the potential for that to be able to sort of paint it onto structures and 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 generate very low 
wattages, but but do it so cheaply that it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So it's super interesting. I think perovskite um, solar panels uh, also have they're, they're flexible as well, so they can be um, put onto a structure uh, with a profile. Um, very interesting. Uh, the I think the technology is already at a point where you've actually got very reasonable efficiency, so around 21-22%. Um, the cost is also competitive, so if I was to put one of those solar panels out in the sun today, I can generate electricity at, you know, 30 cents per watt. The biggest issue that they have is the degradation. So the actual chemical, um, that's uh, the, the chemical composition and the lattice that's actually within there degrades to the point where unfortunately it doesn't have a life at this stage beyond one or two years. So that's the struggle that that technology has right now. Um, when you look at the full life cycle economics of all of the elements of what we're trying to do to displace fossil fuels, you have to look at the, the total life cycle cost. And at this stage, those panels don't really look like, as type of solar doesn't look like it's going to really be competitive in the near in the near future anyway right and and so that 30 cents of what is based on um is based on that life short life time though uh, yeah, so if you yeah. if you can, and it's per watt, not per kilowatt hour, right? And it's a, the yeah. kilowatt hour is a is a total energy um, generated uh, capability, where a watt is uh, how much right, power you're getting at any yep. one minute or any one second. So yeah, you can get the power for one day, uh, but really you need to have that same power continuously generated for 10, 15, 20 years. Yes, yes, yes. And 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 on the solar panel side, um, I think most of these come with what is it, twenty year warranties now? Yeah, ten, is that 10 right? to twenty five. Yeah, so they'll come with that warranty. The Australian standards say that it's got to be able to produce eighty percent of its original capacity after fifteen years. Um, right. And all of the panels uh, manufacturers don't really have a major problem doing that. And in fact, as you point out, they're actually offering warranties that are beyond that. Yeah, and so is that, and and I guess are we seeing improvement on on that front? Uh, yeah, look, it's, it's incremental, um, uh, you know, based on the curve, we're getting close to the asymptote at the bottom, you know, it's not going below zero cost. Yes. Um, but uh, it's the, the, the technology is incrementally improving. So we're getting more um, watts per square metre uh, and the panel costs are going down. It's like three or four uh, percent per year. Um, but uh, Damien, as you've pointed out, if you look at the contribution to the final bottom line, the solar makes a you know one or two cent contribution to that, whereas batteries at the moment are in the uh, 15, 20 um, cent. So it's actually the batteries that have the, the far greater potential uh, to make a big difference in this equation. Yeah, certainly, certainly. So, um, okay, so, so just before we get off the technology of the of the solar panels, though, so so I guess what what I'm thinking is there's sort of you've got a number of things working in your favour, though. So, as you said, you've got the efficiency side where the technology is improving in terms of, um, I guess they're they're adding extra layers and 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 other things to sort of so you can you're getting an efficiency gain uh, on on that front you're getting a density gain by the sounds of it as well. And so you're getting more, packing more into smaller spaces. You're getting a, uh, an economies of scale, um, which I think is actually one of the biggest changes, I think, mm-hmm. if, if I'm right, in terms of just saying you're producing um, 2 million panels rather than a million panels just means that you can do it at a, at a much lower cost. Yep. Uh, and then, uh, you know, on, on, the inst- installa- on the installation side, mm-hmm. um, I guess that's the part where it feels as if that's got the the least uh, opportunity for for prices to fall, uh, given there's a, a human usually screwing it in. Or, or am I wrong? And we seeing are we seeing more efficiency in terms of the the installation side as well? 
Oh, look, I think people are getting better and there's more competition within that market. Um, yeah, look, over, like, I think 30 or 40% of the cost of a rooftop solar installation is about the labour and travel and permitting and, and things like that. Um, uh, that was also the opportunity that we saw. Uh, we've got a panel system that you can install from the inside of the building and access the roof. So that was the opportunity that we're uh, also trying to, to capitalise on with, with our technology. So we don't put on a roof and then ask someone to go up there. Those people need to be trained uh, for protection, um, uh, need to make sure it's safe to do so. That's expensive, right? Um, whereas you can put a panel on your roof from the inside of a structure where you're not exposing people, uh, that's a, a lot safer and a lot um, less expensive. But ultimately, uh, training people, making sure they've got the appropriate OH&S, um, that's still going to be a, a minimal cost that uh, you can't get away from when it comes to installing on an existing roof. Yeah, sure. Uh, Dave, just a quick one, actually. Um, and this, I, I have a feeling that your answer might lead into our next um, uh, direction in, in batteries. But um, we actually, I've got um, solar on our roof at, at home, um, and something that we came up against was that there's a um, there's a grid connection limit that's um, that you can't sort of go above without sort of exploring um, three phase. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how does that relate into, um, I guess, your plans with with um, what you're looking to build out? So, you know, I think we were limited to a twenty or twenty four panels, and I think looking yep. at some of your documentation you can get out to sort of 40 and 50 panels uh to, you know with plenty of walls um yeah just some comment on that yeah so the the reason uh is is that the utility companies don't want too many people generating that much electricity in the middle of the day um, right. so that there's a limit on what you can put into the grid but the key element there is that you're interacting with the grid um uh and by doing so, you have to basically follow the rules of the grid. You need to make sure you're putting those electrons in at the right frequency and voltage. Um, so there's a lot of rules around that. And yes, ultimately, the, these utility companies realise that uh, you've got to actually use the electricity that goes into the grid. It's an instantaneous thing because there's no storage within the grid itself. So recognise that uh, everyone can't be putting in um, you know, 30, 40 kilowatt hours a day from their house or more than 5,000 watts at a time. So they limited uh, basically that, that upper limit. And uh, the, the incentives at the time were also designed to make sure that it didn't run away, I think, as well. Okay. And, and so I guess that this, this to me feels like one of the one of the issues where if you're building a, a grid from scratch right today, that wouldn't be an issue because you just design it for it. But it sounds to me like a problem that bat- another problem that batteries will solve once you sort of go, well, Tim, you can still have your, your 40 panels if you want, but we just need to sit a battery in between it so that you're not we're yep. capturing the, the yep. excess that you can't stick out onto the grid and then mm. we'll let the rest flow through. Yeah, absolutely. Is that so that mm. is the key inflection point at which uh, when batteries become cheap enough uh, such that you can store all of the energy that you're generating for your own use and then you're not interacting with the grid unless you see some reason to arbitrage what you've generated back into the grid at some point. Um, so yeah, when the batteries get cheap enough, and I will explain in, in a little bit, um, I actually think they're there today. Um, mm. This is going to create a massive inflection point and in the way that we generate and distribute energy, especially in any new areas, new development, and it's going to unlock the ability to actually live anywhere uh, because you're not going to be tied to needing to be connected to the grid. 
Mm. So, okay, so you, let's go to the, the technology side and the battery then. So, um, so same same question, but flipped around to sort of say, well, what's so what are the what are the current battery technologies you're using? And again, and this is for I guess I need to be specific as well, isn't it? This is for uh, residential. Um, which is quite different to utility scale. And even at the utility scale, there's sort of that difference between uh, transmission batteries and, and one is sort of storing power and, and sort of yeah, ones that are there to flatten you, things out. Yeah, you'd think that there would be a, a dramatic difference in the chemistry and the, the modularity of the elements, but there actually isn't. If you look at a Tesla power wall, which is the sort of thing that you might put in your house in order to allow you to arbitrage those uh, daily costs between peak and off peak, they actually have the same uh, lithium iron 18650 battery that you find in a Tesla vehicle. Um, mm. And those batteries are actually, you know, they're not dissimilar size to a AA battery that, that you'll have in, in a lot of appliances. Um, that's actually extremely modular. So you can break those elements up and increase and decrease the size of those. Um, excellent response time. So, yeah, they're, they're fantastic to actually provide that uh, that. Uh, rapid response uh, to the grid. Um, they don't have inertia, but the electronics and the computing behind them um, actually pr uh, allows that to, to yeah, basically provide a very, very quick um, amount of energy into the grid uh, to manage that demand response. Mm. And so, um, and so, so what are the what are the battery technologies? So you, you're basically looking at lithium as being the winner at the yeah, moment. So lithium, lithium, and it's uh, I'm agnostic. I will take uh, whatever battery provides the lowest cost dollars per kilowatt hour. Um, the technology that's available right now um, uh, definitely suggests that that is a lithium chemistry. Uh, there's a number of different types of lithium chemistry and it depends on what it is that you're using the battery for. Uh, going back to the Tesla battery again, <clears throat> this is a battery that they wanted to be able to produce at economies of scale for vehicles. Um, and uh, Elon Musk has a desire to be able to send a vehicle from zero to 100 kilometres an hour in less than two seconds. That takes a lot of current. Um, so these 18650 uh, uh, lithium-ion uh, cobalt batteries uh, allow you to draw a significant amount of current that will give you the power to an accelerate a car that fast. Um, your house doesn't really need to go from zero to 100 in under two seconds. Well, so. and I'm, get, I'm, get, I'm guessing most cars as well don't actually really need to go from <laughs> zero to 100 in less than two seconds. Whether it does are two different things, yeah? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Especially when you've got teenage kids learning to drive. I'm sort of, uh, yes, I'd like to have a safety setting for those ones to bring it back to, yes. Indeed, indeed. So, yeah, the, the chemistry that we use is actually a lithium-iron phosphate battery. Um, it's a little bit more expensive if you look on a, uh, in terms of capacity, dollars per kilowatt hour, it's more expensive uh, than the lithium cobalt, the lithium-ion, I-O-N. Uh, battery. Um, but what you find with these lithium iron phosphate batteries is they actually have a higher cycle life. And that's actually the key element that will ultimately differentiate battery technology for housing applications. So a lithium cobalt, the Tesla type battery, um, it has around 500 to 1000 and possibly up to 1500 cycles. And that gives you a delivered kilowatt hour of around 30 cents. And, and 30 cents is approximately, you know, what we would pay for 
electricity out of the plug in your home. Um, so that that's that's marginal, right? Well, it's not marginal. You can't you can't afford necessarily to put that sort of battery in in order to to um, generate and hope to be cheaper than the utility company. The lithium iron phosphate battery, however, uh, has got a three to 4,000 cycle life. And when you look at delivering its capacity over that time, which is, you know, near nine, 10 years, you're looking at a 10 to 15 cent delivered dollars per kilowatt hour. That is extremely interesting because that is half the price that you pay for electricity out of the grid. Mm, okay. Absolutely, mm. um, and so that's uh, uh, and so that relative to hydro as well. So that sounds like as if hydro, you know, store which was basically for, you know you pump the water back uphill and then so it comes back gets to come back down again. That's sort of uh, and, and we had our uh, our prime minister suggesting that was might be. A, a good solution to a lot of these problems. That seems as if these prices have passed it by. Well, the pumped hydro is excellent in terms of the amount of energy um, and the delivered, again, dollars per kilowatt hour. It's it's excellent. Um, the problem with pumped hydro is that you have to only put it where it's geographically possible. So you need a head difference between where you're going to store the water and then when you're going to where it's going to run down to. Uh, and you've got to put your electric hydroelectric in between in order to generate the electricity. That typically is going to be outside of a city somewhere, which means then you actually have to put the transmission lines in and send it all the way to the people who are actually demanding it or the people, customers in the city um, and industrial users. So the actual storage technology is fantastic. It makes an awful lot of sense. Uh, it's actually the distribution that I think is always going to be the thing that uh, you're not going to be able to get away from and yeah, ultimately batteries are going to uh, pass it by. Mm, okay, and there's and I mean I know there's there's a bunch of people working on a whole bunch of all uh, you know whether it be uh, I don't know flywheels or or airflow batteries and and all these other types of ones. I guess are there any of those other technologies you think we should be keeping an eye on? I think you, uh, I'm a mechanical engineer by background, so I would love to say a flywheel or a mechanical solution is the key, but it's just never going to be the case. Yeah. Uh, what you want to focus on is actually chemistry, so battery chemistry. Um, uh, no moving parts other than electrons. Um, anything that's got mechanical elements to it, ultimately over the sort of periods that we're talking about, uh, maintenance issues, wearing issues, downtime issues, these things are, are the things that actually kill uh, renewable technologies that ultimately have a mechanical element to it. Solar panels are solid state. A battery is effectively solid state as well. These things have extremely good reliability, which then gives you that capability to deliver the cheapest kilowatt hours over a 10, 15, 20 year period. Mm. Um, oh, just a quick one, actually. Um, vanadium, there's some, those, uh, the red, uh, red flow, red, mm -hmm. redux flow. Have you, have you had much of a look at those? Uh, very David? little. Uh, yeah, I, again, I'm only, I'm agnostic to the type of battery, just uh, how cheap it is. The benefit of mm. those um, flow type batteries are that you can um, immediately replace the electrolyte. So a battery takes time to recharge. Um, whereas a flow battery, if you wanted to, you can remove the spent electrolyte and basically put in a new one and fill it up like you would fill up a car. Uh, so mm. there are benefits there if you need to do that quickly. 
Um, but my belief is actually that uh, we will move away from the need to have very fast refueling and even the, the mentality around that when people mm. basically plug their cars and their houses into anything and everything that's going to be everywhere around you. You're going to forget about fast refueling when your car just charges up overnight in your garage by itself without you even having to think about having to recharge it. Mm, okay, mm. sure. I might have to sell my vanadium penny stocks then. Thanks for that. But anyway, <laughs> it is, look, if you want to look at in, yeah, investment opportunities, you look at the elements within the most interesting um, battery technologies. Um, so yeah, I, I was saying to someone the other day, you might want to have a look at phosphate, uh, which means getting into seagull guano. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> no, that's and 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 you've got the competition there as um yeah people uh, that's a fertile, a key element in some fertilizer as well, yeah. but but I think as well some of the phosphate just just in terms of economics from this is coming back from back a few years from my my days as a, a resources analyst um but there um I think for some of those as well there's there's some really big mines in that that, that haven't been built yet and so mm -hmm. what you find is uh if some of these big mines don't get built, the economics actually work really well for some of the small miners. But then all of a sudden, if one of these big guys goes, oh, you know what, here's my you know, my, my, my new mine that's going to be 15% of the world demand, yeah. all of a sudden all the small guys get wiped out. Mm. And, yeah, yeah. I think you're seeing the same thing with lithium, right? It was, uh, it was a hot topic. We're talking about making gigafactories. A lot of people jumped into it um, and then, yeah, prices uh, dropped. Um, not a bad thing unless you're actually owning stocks. It's a fantastic thing if you're interested in selling battery technology. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think I, I sort of think of lithium a, a bit like iron ore in a way in that you've got some, you know, you can have some small mines that can be very profitable when the prices spike. Mm -hmm. But the, in the end, uh, the, 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 the bulk of it comes from the really, really big mines that are just, you know, huge industrial processes to make things really, really cheap to get to, to process it. Yeah, no, I think um, Chile, Argentina, Australia are best placed for those uh, large mines. I think they mine a bit in China as well out of some sort of brine. Mm. Mm. Now, now, we spoke a little bit about the um, the, the transmission of energy because I know uh, China's quite big in terms of trying to get, well, not only its... its um, it's sort of trying to move a lot of its coal-fired power plants from uh, the east where, where all the cities are and mm -hmm. off to the west where, where all the coal is, yep. but also looking to put a lot of solar and wind out there and then run ultra-high-frequency lines back to, back to the rest of China. Uh, yeah, high-voltage DC, I think, is the technology that they're, in, they're looking into. Yeah, and so the question for me, though, is if you get the solar – if the solar power um, – if you get dense enough that you can get enough electricity into it, then it seems like you wouldn't actually need that. So, so yeah, you know, I think one of the, one of the common complaints for renewable people is, oh, you have to cover the entire Australia in 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 solar panels just to get enough energy for everyone. It's like, well, mm. based on your nineteen seventies technology, yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, but, um, they're getting denser and denser. And so, I guess mm -hmm. your thoughts are on. Um, so, I mean, obviously, a house you can do. You know, people can can um, already. Uh, service a house from mm -hmm. from their own panels. Yep. Um, how big of an apartment block do you, do you think? You know, if, I've, if you've got a say a six or a ten or an eight eight uh, apartment apartment block, is that got enough space now to to generate its uh, its own electricity? Or um, gosh, no. So if you, I mean, it depends on how many people obviously are underneath. <clears throat> so it's a yeah. function of footprint. Footprint is what uh, dictates how much radiance you're getting from the sun. Um, roughly speaking, I would say you need like 30 to 40 square metres a person. 
um, that would that would be more than enough to generate sufficient electricity for your household use and you could also plug in your electric car and do a daily commute with that sort of kilowatt hours so you know in the 20 to 30 kilowatt hour range and yep. yeah that, that would take about uh, for what we do our technology because we cover our entire roof with solar panels because we make the roof out of solar panels uh, yeah you're looking about like a 36 square meter structure for a person uh, to have 20 to 30 kilowatt hours per day right okay and and how fast is that coming down do you think uh the price so it is again it's a function of oh, the, sorry i guess i'm talking the density the, on the density side are we talking yeah. like you know eking out one or two percent a year yeah no it's not going to change dramatically um yeah. you know I've, i bought solar panels three or four years ago that was 320 watts and we recently bought someone that was 360 watts so mm. There's probably three or four percent density there. Um, it's not going to make a massive difference in the in the short term. Yeah. Okay. So we're still going to need pretty decent um, yeah, distance. I guess you, when you start packing cities full of and want to start running cities from this, you still need to to have these these high density lines running from. Yeah, it's it's questionable. So it depends. Um, and I, it, I'm of the philosophy that, um, you know, our cities were actually born out of our need to access energy as cheap as possible. And, and the cheapest energy delivery and generation for the last 100 years has been thermal power plants or fossil fuel powered um, power plants. Um, that uh, those those uh, generators benefit from uh, thermal economies of scale effectively. The bigger the generator, the more efficient it is. What that means is that you have centralised power generation. Then what happens is you have to then distribute that power generation, and we do that through an alternating current uh, in order to get it to all of the consumers at the best efficiency as well. Where you're actually able to generate energy in any location because you have solar panels, all of a sudden the need to uh, transmit it long distances actually goes away. Uh, and what that means is that you can then actually move out of the city and live somewhere uh, that would actually be at a reasonable price because you're not paying for the cost of transmitting electricity from a centralised power station to wherever, wherever it is you're, you're living. Mm. So, and I guess so, and it might have been a confusing one. I sort of sent these, uh, I guess I, I sort of see there's three different elements to this. One is you sort of completely self-generating. Um, so, so everyone's just like, you know, I create my own power and, and I use myself and I don't even need a grid. And the second bit is, well, I need a local grid because I might run out or, or I, might, I might have a big, a big need for for power over over a short period of time, and I want to draw from my neighbours, and then and then they'll have a big need on another day, and I'll, I'll give it back. And so I sort of need a, I don't know, a couple of thousand people, I suppose, to 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 balance out those types of factors. Um, and then there's the last stage where we are today, which is look, we need big grids because we're pushing everyone this this out to everyone, and we need economies of scale. Yeah, so I think it will be a bit of everything there, right? And it will, it will, um, as it as it transitions, it will move from where we are today with the the big grid and everyone gets their power from it to what you're saying where there is the potential to transmit that electricity between users locally um, I think that will be another interim step um, and then finally it will be cheaper to generate all of your own electricity and store it you might uh, end up um, uh, selling it to your neighbor I actually think that the grid will supply the ability to provide backup 
uh, generation when you've used your battery or that you know the the sun stopped shining or the wind stopped blowing around where you are uh, and you'll use that to actually top up your batteries um, bearing in mind as well that you'll also most probably at that point in time have a battery in your car as well and so will your neighbor uh, and it will get to a point where the battery and the amount of generation is two or three times what you would use on an average day at which point that whole grid reliance kind of will naturally disappear yeah okay and so uh and, and so a lot of that seems to come back to the battery cost as you said the storage of it in terms of what's what it's taking to um to actually yeah. store the energy yes and so, the, the key thing i'll just mention that with the batteries right now at like that 10 to 15 cents per kilowatt hour you can actually go off grid uh the the biggest downside there is that it doesn't it's not sunny every day right so there will be a number of days per year where you're not able to enough generate enough electricity to even store in those batteries um if you are someone who insists on not having any fossil fuels it's going to be expensive to provide in provide twice the capacity to account for those two days uh, but if you're willing to have an off-grid generation that you only fire up for two or three days a year you're going to save a massive amount of money and you're going to be able to be entirely off-grid yeah yeah so because i think i think already isn't it for farmers if you've got to go i don't know a kilometer or, or so mm-hmm. it's, it's hundred thousand yeah. yeah no yeah. no sense no sense in connecting yourself to the grid you may as well be off grid yep. so look horizon power right now in western australia in remote towns are pulling down their poles and wires to replace them with a solar battery with a diesel backup generator mm. yep. right yep that's okay. telling <laughs> it is. It is. it's very indicative and as the that technology gets cheaper the trend so this is remote towns all that's going to happen is that that uh the the economies of that system are going to become more and more available to people closer and closer uh mm. to the cities yeah and that's my one of my contentions for, from a global perspective is that you've got the um yeah, one of the, some of the biggest areas that still need to be connected in, uh, from electricity is uh, is is India and, and Africa, yep. and it just doesn't make sense to build a, a well, fully integrated grid anymore. Exactly the same way as it didn't make sense to build a telecommunications network that was made out of copper. Uh, yeah. So uh, I lived in West Africa for a couple of years. Uh, they basically jumped the whole copper uh, step. Right, they went straight to three G, four G, and uh, yeah, why would you? invest in all of that especially in places where you've got geopolitical un, uh, instability uh, it just makes an awful lot more sense to be able to get your energy slash information uh, independently of someone having to provide it for you and put it in the investment in the infrastructure to do so yep and so um solar city in in uh in the us is sort of one of the ones where it's 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 uh, one of elon musk's i think mm-hmm. and they're, they're, one of their models is to try and put solar panels on people's houses to then sell the electricity back to the grid and 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 to the to the homeowners themselves um i guess what are your thoughts on 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 that business model so do you you think you know in 20 years time people will still own their own panels or do you think we'll we'll try the the electricity companies will be trying to put panels on people's houses for free to in order to sell electricity to to them and their neighbors so I think it makes sense. Um, it makes sense to get into that business even before it's economically feasible to do so. So Elon Musk is is backing himself to put uh, panels on other people's roofs and potentially then one day sell them batteries, knowing full well that that technology trend is inexorable and one day 
they will be making money out of selling that power generation and storage back to the customer, even if they're not making it uh, today. So yes, I think that uh, that trend will continue. Like I said, it doesn't uh, commercially, I don't think it makes much sense today, but every indications are that if you're in the business and you've already got that contract with people, that it will make a lot more sense in years yeah. to come. And well, I sorry, and it does seem that there are people out there already, uh, mainly with businesses, I think, who are trying to use the batteries, who are trying to group together batteries using software to then put the put the power back out to the uh, to the grid. Yep. And then I guess that just seems like a scaling problem to you know, and a software problem to solve is like, how do I connect up, you know, ten thousand houses and, and and take control of all their batteries at the same time and, yep. and push the power back out to the grid when it when when the need is there. Yeah, look, you're in the business then of, of arbitraging along someone else's infrastructure, right? That's a tough business to be in because if there's real money to be made there, uh, the people who own the, the poles and wires are going to be the ones who end up taking a cut of it. So interesting. I think there's absolutely an opportunity there, uh, but it's very easy for a utility company to come in and, and eat your lunch at some point. Yeah, yeah, that's right. As, as they have with feed-in tariffs several times for, for solar. Yeah, of seems. course. Encourage people to do it and then, uh, yeah, take take the cheese away. Take it the away, <laughs> exactly. And, I mean, it does seem to me that, um, you know, from a, you know, if, if you were trying to design a, a um, uh, subsidies and, and things like that to actually help grow the solar industry, mm. you, you would have thought you'd say, well, I'll, I'll start with a, a, a subsidy and I will keep adding that subsidy um you know, I'll keep, if I can't afford a higher one, I'll I'll, keep, I'll have a lower one and make sure it's steady and stable, so that people in the industry sort of can be can uh, can can feel a sense of solidity. Whereas yeah. it does seem as if um, they've done exactly the opposite in in most states, where they've added a big one, taken it off, added the big one, taken it off, and yeah, with, and- with progressive and different governments, yeah. So and subsidies are a, a double-edged sword, right? Um, and I, I think they they can be. Uh, quite um, punitive uh, for the renewable energy. Uh, If you're in the business of doing something more efficiently, uh, some subsidies can actually incentivize the wrong behavior. So uh, if you if you genuinely want to push people away from fossil fuels, you actually uh, want to encourage all the means for them to develop the technology rather than subsidise the outcome. Uh, because ultimately, if you're subsidising the outcome, you're not incentivising people to do things more efficiently, which means you're not actually giving people or the technology and the companies a genuine chance to displace the incumbent. Um, mm. you're, and you ultimately, you're always going to be paying the price somewhere. Uh, there's no way of getting away. Energy follows the rules of thermodynamics and no one's broken those in 13.8 billion years. So uh, you can't, there's no free lunches when it comes to energy um, production. Uh, Subsidising one will can be at the detriment to, to, the, to the greater good. Mm. Um, now, I know this is, uh, this is more of one, I guess, for the, the people at home and I, I know Tim's interested, you know, just in terms of the, the mixing, you know, for people who already have solar panels and, and looking at the new ones coming out and, and, mm-hmm. and wanting to add more or less, uh, I guess, mixing uh, old, old technology and new technology. What's the, what are your thoughts in terms of, in terms of that? Um, yeah, I think the actual the critical element is actually the inverters. It's less the solar panel. The solar panel is actually relatively simple. Um, it's a photon comes and hits the silicon and pushes out an electron. Um, that electron is the exact same electron that exists everywhere in the in the universe. Um, so a solar panel, as long as it's the same voltage, um, doesn't know what the solar panel next to it looks like. 
what is the uh, technology that does need to integrate is when you're uh, regulating that voltage and inverting it into 240 volts at 50 hertz, which is what we run in Australia. Uh, those systems need to be able to talk to each other uh, in order to basically integrate power from one system with another system. And that's where the, the problems actually come in. It's not the solar panel per se, uh, but the technology that does the in, in, uh, voltage regulation and inversion. Mm. Uh, changing tax quite a bit. So uh, you spoke a little bit before about uh, Chinese uh, getting most of the panels from China and it seemed to be that, I guess it must be 10 years ago now, maybe even 15 years ago, where uh, China made a uh, concerted effort to uh, subsidise and, and state back a lot, of its, a lot of its companies and really drive down the price of, of uh, solar panels to the stage mm-hmm. where um, basically everywhere else in the world stopped making them. Yep. Is that uh, still the case at the moment, or are we seeing uh, solar manufacturers sort of pop up elsewhere? Uh, not that I know of. There's, there's solar. There's people who claim to make solar panels are generally um, uh, sticking together the silicon cells that are produced in these factories in China still. So it's just one element of a, of the solar panel. So we do have solar panel manufacturers, but uh, the actual core element, the the silicon solar cell, is actually still coming from China. Uh, they did a fantastic job of of making sure that no one uh, was willing to compete uh, with uh, with people in China. Um, and yeah, I think that's still. The case you would be um, it would be very difficult uh, to compete with a solar panel manufacturer um, out of China today and one of the reasons for that is there's still elements within the manufacturing of solar panel that actually take uh, some manual labor um, and if you're uh, China has got the most competitive manual labor in the world so it's very hard to compete there I think we will only see a genuine competition for those sort of products when you've got a product that can be a hundred percent produced autonomously by robots when that mm. day comes then uh, we can basically produce things uh, cheaper than china mm-hmm. and so if um i guess i'm just sort of extrapolating forward just looking at risks and to to, to the situation so if if uh, the trade war got a lot worse and, and china started to i guess put some some uh restrictions on it and somebody did have to start up factories yeah i guess mm-hmm. Say, say you wanted to build a factory, a solar panel factory in Australia, sort of from scratch or, or in the US, how much more expensive do you think it would be than the current ones? Um, so I don't know if it would be any less or more expensive. It's really ultimately, if you look at the fundamentals that drive the cost of the factory, because it's the keeping. Yeah, it's, and it's the labour that actually goes into the manufacturing of the panel. Uh, the key element in the, the real technology comes in producing the silicon billet. Um, so that's a big chunk of silicon that you want to make as uh, homogenous as possible, um, as very few crystals within it, and then you slice it with a laser in order, and as thin as possible to get the most out that you can. That's actually the technology um, that's, uh, that's the most expensive part. That I believe you can transfer anywhere um, with, and I don't think China necessarily has a strategic advantage in producing those, um, or at least um, uh, applying the technology. Mm. Um, from a one of the things we've we've sort of been looking at from an investment perspective is it, is it's hard to find 
trying to find companies that are sort of uh, will, will benefit from solar and 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 batteries because mm-hmm. the technology is often uh, competing, and you never know who's going to come up with the latest and the greatest. And and so uh, one of the areas we've we've sort of found a little bit of investment success with in the past is is finding the contractors who are effectively plugging these things into the the, the networks or um, you know running the other sort of doing the uh, the selling the, the the shovels and picks so mm-hmm. so to speak to the miners. Yeah, um, absolutely. From your perspective, I guess uh, any of those that you find, um, yeah, look, you'd be really hard. You'd be really hard pushed to compete in the the world of um, producing solar panels and batteries. Um, mm-hmm. Where there will be massive opportunity is actually in the applications that use those technologies. Uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, we've absolutely bet the house on the fact that. Uh, construction going forward will have building integrated uh, photovoltaics and they'll have integrated battery systems. And if you're in the business of actually then selling the final product um, and the, the what goes into it is effectively fungible because there's so many people doing it at lowest cost, that's where you have the opportunity. Selling buildings that will be cheaper than other people's buildings um, because they've got this technology within them. Mm-hmm. Um, Amazon uh, recently, I think last year, bought a, a modular housing company, I think for $200 million. Um, they recognised that uh, getting into the actual structure itself was critical because they're pre-wiring Alexa into that building. If you own the um, or control that part of the value chain, then your um, able to control what the systems are that go into that, I think that's where the, uh, the real dollars will be in the, in the coming years. Mm. Excellent. Very so, good. Uh, and then uh, I guess just finally, uh, from a government perspective, um, if you're talking to your local member or any of our listeners are talking to their local members, what are the where are the regulations? Uh, you know, Australia seems to have been quite uh, anti-renewables in the, in the past. Um, and I guess the question is, if we would like to, I guess, if they would like to lobby people, or we would like to to lobby for for changes, what are the key areas? Do you think where the, where the Australian government could uh, could step in and actually start helping? Yeah, so um, gosh, this is a tough one, and I think there could be a whole podcast just dedicated to this very topic. Okay. Um, the uh, my opinion, and as an engineer, there's a lot of regulations that actually make a lot of sense. There, a lot of things are there to protect current systems and protect people and things like that. Um, it is quite onerous, you know. We live in a country. Um, where we have an extremely high quality of life because people look after us um, and put in place these regulations to protect uh, consumers. Um, They are absolutely onerous then for uh, people to be able to work with. Uh, Renewables have struggled. um, And if you're a renewable, you know, solar farm and you have to work with an existing grid, you have to work within the rules. But for mine, um, the real opportunity is where you can basically take out the transmission line right if you can go off grid then all of those regulations kind of become um, less of a concern Uh, for all of our buildings we're actually installing a low voltage dc bus so this is like runs at 24 volts so then all of a sudden you've got a electrical system that also uh, can be wired up similar to the way you would wire up a caravan or a truck or a car Um, that then also reduces the risks and then you are also then not subject to all of the same rules and regulations which make it easier as well there's a real perfect storm coming for that off-grid application of energy generation Mm. okay so does that mean if for people who are building new houses and i think uh 
one of our chief strategists is actually just moving into his new house very shortly, so it's probably too late for him. So, <laughs> so is that something they sh- they should be looking at then? Is it, sorry the twenty four volt bus was that what? Uh, yes, so look, it's it's not common at the moment. Our prototype we installed um, uh, twenty two kVA cables in there, so this is really thick copper. The problem um, at the so the problem with direct current. So uh, solar panels generate at direct current, and bar- batteries store at direct current. Uh, all of our uh, two forty volt systems system is alternating current, excellent for transmitting long distances, but you don't need it if you are generating where you're storing, where you're you're using it. Um, it is definitely my sense that, um, and if you don't have to invert then DC into AC, you also save on the cost of that equipment and all those technical issues that we were talking about previously. So yeah, my money is definitely on uh, the future of construction and housings. Uh, housing will have uh, low voltage uh, DC buses. You'll in, you'll invest in the cables because uh, you need thicker cables when you're running high amps of uh, direct current. Uh, but it will be a relatively insignificant cost because you're only uh, distributing it within uh, your house and out to the garage to charge your car and things like that. Um, so yeah, we we are definitely advocating with all of the buildings that we sell uh, for all of our consumers and anyone's got an application to maintain a 24 volt um, uh, DC bus. If you need 240 volts, you basically put a small inverter next to the appliance or next to the application uh, that you need to run at 240 volts. Right. Oh, Excellent. Something to think about. Well, look, uh, mindful of your time, David, and look, that's been a, a wonderful uh, and amazing uh, bit of insight, I think, into uh, the big wide world of battery and and also, uh, of course, solar technology and, and how it's going to potentially uh, you know, impact uh, the future of Australian housing. Would you like to um, just take a couple of moments to let our listeners know how they can follow some of your work? Oh, gosh, yes. So, um, we've got the uh, Iron Matrix website, um, ironmatrix.com. Uh, you can find out all about us there and uh, contact us if you'd like to know more. Um, yeah, I think this is one of the most exciting places to uh, be working at the moment because this this transition um, is going to make a massive difference, not just in Australia, uh, but as you mentioned, Damien, all over the world where people uh, are looking for lower cost access to energy. It's, it's absolutely um, um, intense exciting right now really looking forward to seeing how it all works out Fantastic. thanks for coming along we'd love to i'd uh, love to get you on board uh sometime soon absolutely i'd uh, love to do it again thanks very much thanks, thanks. David. so damien uh terrific uh 50 odd minutes spent with uh, david morgan there uh, got some incredible insights into uh the future of uh, solar and batteries in australia and, and australian house building what did you think yeah, look, I've been writing on this topic for a number of years and uh, just put out something just recently on, on this, just keeping in keeping up to speed with where the prices are going and how we really are, uh, the prices keep coming down at such a rapid rate that we've, we've reached um, it, we've reached this parity point far quicker than what I'd thought. And I think over the next few years, what you'll start to see is you, you really will see that the cost of solar plus a battery will start to displace the cost of just the fuel. Because that's the issue being... Um, by building new fact, new uh, new facilities is definitely uh, in a sunny place. It's it's all all about renewables now. Mm. Uh, the 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 issue is we've already spent the money to build the the coal fired power plants or the nuclear plants or the uh, or the gas fired plants. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I'm seeing in the cost is if they keep coming down at the rates they're coming at the moment, within five years you'll be saying you can put on a new new solar plus battery. Um, which will actually displace the cost 
just the fuel cost of running one of these uh, gas-fired or, or, or coal-fired plants. And so at that stage, it becomes extremely disruptive for the, uh, for the existing players. So, uh, yeah, that was, you know, I guess what he's saying and, and what I'm seeing from that is we're not there yet and we might see that we, we start hitting some constraints and, and costs don't come down as quickly. But um, he's seeing what I'm seeing as well, which is, which is heartening, that um, there aren't any, any obvious hurdles that's going to prevent us from getting there. And so that means a, a huge issue for uh, anyone involved in um, in some of these traditional technologies, depending upon where you are. But but very much you do not want to be a high cost producer in any one of these um, uh, fossil fuel um, or even other energy sources. You, you don't want to be a high cost producer because uh, this solar plus batteries is just getting cheaper every year, and um, it's just going to push them off the uh, out of the grid. Yeah, and I thought it was quite clever as well the way um, by, you know, choosing solar panels rather than weatherboards on the outside of your house, you get to run your air conditioner for free 24, 24 hours a day as well. Absolutely. Well, that's, you might choose not to run it 24 hours a day, but yeah, having that, having that extra power. And, and actually, just a, we didn't mention it during the, during the podcast, but it is important to say none of this is based on carbon prices. None of this is based on um, uh, subsidies. Political head, uh, tailwinds. Yeah. Political tailwinds. They, they'll help us get there earlier, mm. but the reality is this is purely just based on the economic and that's where um, you know the whole idea of carbon prices and, and and subsidies was bring that point forward and the issue is that the technology's been moving so so fast that, that point's been brought forward a hell of a lot quicker and I'm still always hearing from people whenever I write these coming out and talking about oh no but you don't understand we can't do it yet um, they're the talking points from five years ago and ten years ago hmm. um, the issue is the costs have come down so rapidly that those talking points are no longer valid Mm, very good. Well, that's it for now, and thanks for watching. If you like what you heard today and you'd like to hear more, head over to nucleuswealth.com forward slash subscribe, give us your email address, and in return, we'll send you a weekly email with new webinar topics, links for our podcasts, and other news from Nucleus Wealth. I certainly hope you've got something out of today, as I have, and we'll look forward to catching you with the next one. Cheers. Cheers.